Well, tonight we are in Luke's Gospel, so if you have a Bible, please do open it with me, or if you're joining along in one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find this in Luke's Gospel in chapter 23, and we're going to begin to read from verse 32. You'll find that on page 1060, page 1060 if you're joining along in a Pew Bible. And while you turn that up, just take this opportunity to, to thank the congregation for praying during the week for the mission that happened at Coleraine University. Uh, thank you so much for supporting the students in prayer, and uh, three people trusted Jesus for the very first time during the week, and so that's a great cause for rejoicing uh, and uh, evidence that our God lives and changes people's lives. Uh, and so too, continue to pray for the work of Coleraine CU and for those folks who trusted Jesus for the first time. All three of them were going to attend church today with various friends, and so we're delighted to hear that. Well, tonight we're in Luke chapter 23. And beginning to read at verse 32, this is God's word to us. We're at the cross, and we're at the cross narrative. We're in the midst of the crucifixion in verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they were, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen. And we thank God for His Word. The grass willers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Well, hey, what an important subject. What happens when I die? Uh, you know the story of a little boy who walked into Hill Street with his dad and uh, saw the war memorial, all the names on the war memorial, and said, uh, Dad, what are all those names? And his dad said, uh, Oh, son, those are the names of all the people who died in the services. And uh, <laughs> you can see where we're going with this. And, uh, and they said, oh, was John preaching or was Nigel preaching? So there are not many opportunities for uh, funny stories tonight, so I thought we would squeeze one in uh, at the start. We've been working our way through Ecclesiastes, of course, these evenings. And one of the big themes in Ecclesiastes is death. 
And the, the need that we have, Ecclesiastes says, to factor it into our living, to know that we are people who are heading towards death, uh, so that we, as David Gibson says, we need to live life backwards, and that actually that's the key to living life well. And, and so when it came to this big question night, we thought we would uh, think a little bit more specifically about death, and particularly what happens when we die, and especially when, what happens when a Christian dies. Uh, for some of us, I think what we're going to cover tonight is very uh, simple and, and familiar, but perhaps some of us uh, have not thought particularly about what the Bible says about happen, what happens after this life. And of course, Christianity has a unique claim in this, in that its key figure, uh, Jesus Christ, conquered death. I remember speaking to someone one time, and, and they, they just happened to, the, the subject of death came up in our conversation, and they said, well, it's, it's such a mystery, isn't it? I mean, no one comes back to tell you what's on the other side of it, do they? And that was a bit like uh, giving a footballer an open goal. And I was able to say, well, actually, uh, Jesus Christ did. He, he died and he, he rose again. And because of that, we really need to pay attention to, to what he and, and what the Bible says about death. And we do. We're looking at uh, a few different parts of the Bible tonight. But we've read that story of Jesus and the, the, the criminals on the cross on either side of him. It's a hugely significant story. As I've thought about this, it's so symbolic in that sense that Christ, because of the providence of God, is crucified between these two people. And he ends up saying to one of them, today you'll be with me in paradise. And our world, of course, doesn't have an answer to death. It can't have. And so we see the trend in the funeral service world, as it were, moving more and more towards looking back at a person's life and celebrating uh, not using the word death, talking about passing and moving on and so on. And, uh, and of course, there's nothing wrong with celebrating someone's life at a funeral service. That's something we, we certainly want to do. But for, if, if this is all that we have, if this life is all that we have, then looking back is all that we can do. And of course, Jesus absolutely cuts across that because he looks to the future. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. He makes it uh, immediately clear that this world is not all that there is, that there is somewhere else. There is a paradise that is with someone else, with Jesus. And that changes everything. It cuts through the mystery of death. We might want death to be a mystery, but actually that which we could not otherwise know, the Bible makes clear to us. It gives us all that we need to know about death uh, so that it brings certainty into what the world either ignores or speculates about. Well, we're, we're simply going to uh, step our way through this very simply tonight, I hope. Uh, uh, and the first thing we want to think a little bit about is destiny. Uh, uh, because we, whenever we're asking that question, what happens when we die, the first thing we need to say in a very significant way is, well, it depends. You hear it whenever people answer questions like that, don't you? It depends. But, but in this case, it depends because there is more than one option. There is a story, it's my second and last a rather amusing story to me at least. Uh, there, there's a story of a, a clever epitaph carved on a gravestone. It said this, uh, remember me as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. 
As I am now, so shall you be. Remember this and follow me. Appeal to face up to the reality of death. But someone had taken a sharpie and had written underneath it, to follow you, I'll not consent until I know which way you went. Uh, and that, that's important, isn't it? Because uh, we will die, but not everyone has the same destiny. And we still need to underline that within our world today. It's very evident from this passage that we have read. Jesus is crucified between two criminals, two thieves. And it seems at the beginning of the ordeal that both of them uh, hurl abuse at Jesus and then uh, one changes. Uh, Perhaps he, he sees how Jesus is. He sees the supernatural darkness that comes over everything. He hears the things that Jesus says. And he comes to a, really a pretty remarkable conclusion, of course, if we're seeing the, the, the story. And that is that Jesus is the king. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The, 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 the king of the Jews was written in a notice over Jesus on his cross. But it was a joke, of course. It was put there as a joke. But the thief began to realize that what Jesus' enemies had said in jest was actually the truth and that he was indeed the king. And this man wanted Jesus to be his king. And he said to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now there's a sense in which Jesus never looked less like a king than he did then on the cross, bruised and, and, and bloodied and so on. Those who would have walked past would have quickly ignored him. But the thief saw that he was the king and he asked to be remembered. And it was to him and to him alone that Jesus extended those hope-filled words, today you'll be with me in paradise. There was another thief there, we saw that. No such words to him. As far as the Bible suggests to us, he continued to reject Jesus and despise Jesus. And, and in a very powerful way, what we see here just before Jesus' death, with these two men on either side of him, is that it illustrates what happens not only before death, but after death. The destiny of all people is not the same. There are those who are saved, and there are those who are lost. There are those whose destiny is heaven. There are those whose destiny is hell. The, the Bible uh, speaks about this duality all the time. You think of the, the broad road and the narrow road, the, the house built on sand and the house built on the rock, the, the sheep and the goats and so on. And this image of Jesus between these two men is key because it is Jesus who divides humanity. There are those who reject him and are lost. And then there are those who who humbly come to him as king, as with this thief, and they are saved. Uh, Christianity Explored uh, helpfully points out that it is how people treat Jesus that is the key issue, and indeed it points out that our attitude to Jesus now is the same as his is to us after death, as it were. Our attitude to Jesus here and now is the same as Jesus' attitude to us there and then. If we receive him now, he receives us then. If we reject him now, he will reject us then. And here are these two men on either side of Jesus. 
And of course, this is so very, very different from what we tend to hear today. You, you know that we, we live in this sort of common folk religion, lots of different flavors of it. But the, the impression is, of course, that God welcomes everybody or just about everybody. He'll turn a blind eye. He'll help those who help themselves. He'll see the good in people. And, and, and these are the things that, that are, are, are held on to within our world. And of course, if you drill down into that, you'll see it all sort of depends upon what I have done. It's all about my performance. I've, I'm as good as the next person. And yet here we're seeing that it is our relationship to Jesus, our, our, our humble looking to Jesus as king, that is absolutely determinative. And so whenever you talk to someone about death, when that subject comes up, and people say, well, you know, it's all a mystery, isn't it? I'm just doing the best I can. I hope it's going to work out. I'm sure there'll be something on the other side for me. The question that you want to have in your mind, that you earnestly want to bring onto the table, and and, and we know that there are all sorts of sensitivities about how you do that. And, and some of us more uh, gifted and courageous and all the rest of it than, than, than others. But the, the burning desire of our hearts, and we need to pray that the Lord will give us this, is that we, we want to say, but friend, rest in peace is not for everyone. Death is, is not the answer for everyone that will bring joy and everlasting hope. And we, we want to earnestly be burdened to talk about that. The Bible says there are two destinies. And how we relate to the Lord Jesus is crucial. So what happens after death? It depends. For those who believe in Jesus, there is entry into paradise. And without Jesus, there is a judgment in hell. Jesus speaks about those going away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So there are, there are two destinies. Second, second word that we want to think about a little bit as we talk about these things is, is presence. This is, is really quite wonderful. Um, when, when the thief, uh, the, the repentant thief speaks to Jesus, you, you'll see how personal his request is. It, it is for him. Remember me. And it is centered on Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' reply is, is incredibly personal, isn't it? Today you will be with me in paradise. And, and it's so important that we understand this. The, the, the center of what lies ahead for believers, the center of heaven, if we want to uh, shorthand it in that way, is Jesus Christ. You, you, you know, sometimes we, we hear friends chat about what happens after this life and they joke about, you know, endless golf. For some people, that is not heaven, but uh, endless golf for those who like it. And you see, the truth is, if we think of golf rather than God, whenever we think of heaven, then golf is our God whatever you put in there. If we even think of rest rather than God when we think of heaven, then rest is our God. 
And, and, and let me say this uh, uh, gently. That is true of the whole idea, too, of being reunited with loved ones. That's a, a precious hope for us, a precious thing. And certainly we will know one another in heaven, and, and friendships that have begun in earth will be deepened and filled and fulfilled in heaven. But can I say this? The goal of heaven is not to see loved ones first. It is to see Jesus. And I, and I highlight that simply to, to diagnose perhaps an imbalance if it's in your heart that, that will do you harm if it's not corrected. We sang a moment ago, when I stand in glory, I will see his face. He's at the center of it all. R.C. Sproul uh, said this about seeing the Lord. Uh, the, 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 the Christians down through the ages have spoken about this as, the, as, as it were the, 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 sort of the ultimate goal of knowing the Lord, that, that we would see him, sometimes called the beatific vision. And he said this, the Bible tells us at the end of our sanctification is our glorification, where all vestigial remnants of sin are removed from our character. It's all gone. No more doubt, no more fear, no more error, no more pain, no more evil, all gone. We're going to be like Christ, totally sanctified. For we shall see him as he is in his unveiled splendor and glory. We're going to see something that dwarfs the vision that Isaiah had of the Holy One. Does that warm our hearts a little tonight? Sometimes that thought of, of, of seeing Jesus is, is, is an intimidating thought because we, we know that, that, that we're both drawn to him and, and, and we, we, we want to avert our gaze like, like, like Isaiah did and we wonder, how will that be? Jonathan Edwards wrote about this, believers seeing Christ. He said, they see everything in Christ that tends to kindle and inflame love and everything that tends to gratify love and everything that tends to satisfy them. When you see Jesus, be full satisfaction. And he goes on to speak about what it will mean to draw near to Christ. We might think we might shrink back from him, but this is what he says. They're seeing the great glory of their friend and redeemer will not awe them to a distance and make them afraid of near approach, but on the contrary, will most powerfully draw them near and encourage them to engage in a holy freedom. And the nature of this glory of Christ that they shall see will be such as to draw and encourage them, for they will not only see infinite majesty and greatness, but infinite grace and condescension and mildness and gentleness and sweetness equal to his majesty. For he appears in heaven not only as the lion of the tribe of Judah, but as the lamb, as the lamb in the middle of the throne. You see, when you see him, all your fears will go and you'll be drawn to him. He's at the very center of, of heaven. His, his, his presence is what makes it great. Paul speaks about being with Christ, which he says is better by far. Better by far. Presence. Body. What happens 
to our bodies. This is a a theme in the scriptures that sometimes we sort of ignore. Uh, Well, clearly the body goes to the grave or or, uh, is cremated or whatever. It is left behind. Paul talks about the tent of the body. You might remember that one of the the, the words he uses as he talks about the possibility of his own death is is, uh, what the NIV translates, depart. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. It's the word of of taking down a tent in order to move to a campsite. So, So at a death... Uh, the body is left uh, behind, but the spirit, the, 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 the real us or the, the weight of the real us goes immediately into God's presence. So 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says he would rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. He knows that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you think about that, uh, we are embodied people, and yet when Jesus speaks to the thief, and says, today you'll be with me in paradise, he was thinking of the, the thief's soul without his body. His body would still be on the cross or, or in a grave or, or wherever. And uh, Jesus' body, indeed, would be in the tomb. And yet there's enough of the thief tied up with his soul that Jesus can speak to him and say, you, you'll be with me. You won't have your body, but it will be you. And yet... In that day, when we leave our bodies behind, we will not still be fully and finally as God intends. We were, we were made to have bodies. It's hard to think of ourselves without a body. Remember, Jesus, when he appeared, was in his resurrection body. He's the first fruits. We will be like him. We'll have resurrection bodies somehow like his glorious body. And you think of what he did. He was, he was not a ghost. He, he came and said to Thomas, put your fingers in my wounds. <clears throat> he, Mary held on to him in the garden. He met with the disciples. He ate fish. He's, he's embodied in that sense. But, but at this point, immediately as we leave this earth, we, we are not yet finished because we don't have bodies. And the author of the letter of the Hebrews talks about us coming together and worship and saying we are in the, the presence of God, but we're also in the presence of the spirits of righteous people made perfect, righteous men made perfect, Hebrews twelve twenty three. So for a time, and however time is experienced in glory, for, for, for a time, those who belong to the Lord are with the Lord. But, but without, our, without our bodies. The Catechism and the Confession are hugely helpful on, on these issues. We're going to quote some of them uh, tonight. 37, uh, <clears throat> here it is. What benefits do believers receive from Christ when they die? When believers die, their souls are made perfectly holy and immediately pass into glory. Their bodies, which are still united to Christ, part of the reason that we treasure the bodies of our loved ones. Their bodies, which are still united to Christ, rest in the grave until the resurrection. So there's a resurrection, you see. Christ did not just redeem our souls. He redeemed us as whole people, body and soul. And so Christ's work is not fully applied to us until our bodies are set free from the effects of the fall, made into the perfect bodies that God intends them to be. Paul says in Romans 8, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption to sonship. For in this hope we were saved. 
but hope that is seen as no hope at all for who hopes for what he already has. So, so Christ will, will raise our, our bodies and transform them into resurrection bodies, reunite them with our then perfect souls to enjoy him forever. And these will be bodies fit for an eternal existence in the new heavens and the new earth that God will usher in. We have so much ahead of us. Don't spend your life looking back. Brother, sister, look forward. Now, there are all sorts of objections about the fact that, that after a while there's not a lot of our bodies left. You think about Paul who says these things. Uh, there's not a lot of Paul left. But Paul uses the picture of a seed. It only takes a very small seed to produce something really amazing. What does the Lord need to do this? An atom or two, perhaps? Whatever remains in the grave from our own physical bodies will be taken by God and transformed and used to make a new resurrection body. Catechism goes on, 38. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers raised in glory will be publicly recognized and declared not guilty on the day of judgment and will be made completely happy in the full enjoyment of God forever. There have been a few down through the history of the church that have taught uh, what's called soul sleep. They've said that whenever we die, we sleep so that our first sort of waking impulse, as it were, is with our resurrection bodies. Uh, so the first thing we are conscious of, as it were, after we die is Christ's return. But, we, but we've seen, I think, that the, the teaching of the Bible is that we go to be immediately with Christ as uh, the, the essential soul of us. We wait for uh, the resurrection. Now, we, we, we need to say what happens to the, the unbeliever in the sense the, the, the picture of the unbeliever is the mirror, the, the opposite of this, but it's also an embodied and eternal existence. And so upon death, the souls of unbelievers go immediately to eternal punishment. There's no second chance to trust Jesus. As Jesus said in the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, there's a great gulf fixed between heaven and hell and no one may cross from there to us. But again, unbelievers will be raised, they will be judged, they will be uh, punished forever in hell. We've said on other occasions that even uh, though they are fully aware of what God is like, they continue to be unrepentant, to hate the cross, to hate the Savior. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that Jesus has him not say, let me come to you, but send Lazarus here to me. He just wants his torment to be lessened, but he doesn't want to be with Jesus. That would be torment itself. So, so let me read you, this is a little bit longer, but let me read you the confession on this. So this is our, our sort of um, a constitutional document that, that really sums up what we understand the Bible to teach. It's, it's, it's beautifully succinct in this. Uh, the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to the God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. 
And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of that great day, of the great day. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scriptures acknowledges none. In other words, no purgatory or limbo or anything like that. Then at the, at the last day, it goes on, at the last day, such as are found alive shall not die. So if Christ returns, what happens to people then? Such as are found alive shall not die, but be changed. And the dead shall be raised up with the self-same bodies and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. The bodies of the unjust shall by the power of Christ be raised to dishonor. The bodies of the just by his spirit unto honor and be made conformable unto his own glorious body. When we see him, we will be like him. So you can see the, the, the tremendous hope that there is for the believer. And so whenever we think about, about those who have gone before us, we must know that while we grieve for their loss, they have entered into this wonderful existence which they enjoy moment by moment. And, and that brings us to our last little section. And that is, how should we think about our deaths? David Gibson says we, we need to live our lives now in the light of our death. But how should we think about, about death? We, we may have, we will have, I'm sure many misgivings about the circumstances of our death, uh, the process of death. We, we, we've all seen things that, that we know are, are tremendously hard. Perhaps we've been with people and, and their, their remaining, their last days were, were, were very difficult. And we think, how would I cope if that were me? But how should we think about what happens after that? Well, John began where reading the fact that our enemy of death has been defeated. And though death is an enemy, Jesus has defeated death and has made death for the believer the way that they get to be with God. Paul says in Philippians, very far better. Spurgeon said that, that, that Jesus had turned the tomb into a, a, a bed and dying into just waking up. Isn't that wonderful? You know the story, I love the story of, of Jairus' daughter. You know how Jesus, all the people are there and their, their little girl has died and all the people are there and they're, they're mourning and wailing and Jesus dismisses them all and he takes her by the hand and he says, little girl, get up, Talitha kum. And, and it's, it's Keller who, who says that, that it's the word that you would use of, of raising a little toddler to, to, to waken up. Honey, it's time to get up. Some, some of you have had that. One of the, the joys of being a parent, one of, you, one of the joys that maybe some of you remember, is of, of rousing a little one as they head off on holiday. You know? They haven't gone to sleep. They've been... They've been up late, they've been so excited and eventually they drop off and, and you're heading to the ferry or to the airport and so you, you get everything gathered up and you put it all into the car and then you say, right, I'm going to go and waken him up now, I'm going to waken her up now 
and you, you shake her a little bit, you take her by the hand and say, honey, it's time to get up. And there's a moment of confusion, maybe grumpiness, and then there's excitement. Is it today? Is it now, Dad? Jesus will rouse us from the sleep of death. Is it now? In Philippians, Paul says, to die is gain. In Revelation 14, John says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, is the spirit. They will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. And so if, if, if you're a Christian here tonight, there, there is no need to fear death, maybe it's circumstances, maybe the, the thought of, of how those that we leave behind will manage all of those questions that we have. But nothing to fear when Christ takes our hand and rouses us on the other side. How do we think about our death? Hope. And friend, if you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, can I remind you that that thief on the cross to whom Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, he began by heaping insults on Jesus. And that says that you too may come. The man on the center cross invites you. You know the last words of The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis's book? The children die. They, they, they die in a train crash. It's not, sometimes it's, you sort of skip over it in the book a little bit, but, the, but they die in the, in the train crash. And so as you're reading this, you think of all the things that are happening back on earth, all the, the heartache and the, and the loss and the grieving and the horror of that. But this is what Lewis writes. Aslan is speaking, and as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and in which every chapter is better than the one before. The best is yet to be. Let's pray together. Lord, how kind you are that you should give your son to hang on a cross between criminals, that you might issue an invitation 
and an assurance that a paradise awaits all who treat you as king. Father, we pray in this world that we are increasingly realizing has so little to offer. We pray that we might realize that you have everything to offer. That life with you is better by far. That to behold your face is everything that you intend for us and beyond our wildest imaginings. Lord, help us to live our life backwards, knowing that if that be our destiny, then we can walk with you through all things, for you will surely take us home. Hear our prayer, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.